Hello and welcome to a very special episode of The Wind Thieved Hat. Regular listeners, hello Chris, may recall the conversation I had in episode 9 with my wife, the artist Kate Shooter. There were a couple of things we didn't touch on in that conversation which maybe we could have. One of those was ceramics and the other one was mental illness. A couple of weeks ago I was asked by Creative Review to write an article on creativity and mental health and as part of my research for the article I talked to Kate about her own experiences and I recorded that conversation. Now the conversation was never intended to be a podcast episode but because of Kate's honesty and her openness and her thoughtful reflections on her own depression and what it means to her practice I felt that our conversation could be helpful if it was shared and Kate has bravely and very generously agreed. So here we go with a very unusual edition of The Wind Thieved Hat and if you'd like to check out Kate's work while you're listening so long as you're not driving it's uh, you can find it at kateshooter.com. Maybe we'll come back to ceramics another time. describe your mental illness I have periods I don't know whether it's very clear-cut I have periods of depression and have had probably since I was about 14 um, and sometimes it gets very bad and is clinical and the rest of the time I manage it, it goes up and down. And when it comes to creativity and making work, and making work as an artist, as you do, I'm interested into whether there are times when it's a hindrance or if there are times when it actually informs what you make? Mm. I think overall it's really hard for me to say because I've never made work without it always being present. So who knows what I would produce if it wasn't there. It's definitely harder... Well, interestingly, though, it's harder to make work when I'm... Um, when it's medicalised, you know, when I'm taking medication, I'm taking antidepressants, it is harder to make work. So that would suggest that without my, um, my normal, natural state of depression, I'm not as creatively... Um, vibrant, but that might also be that the the medicine dampens down my creativity in another way. So I don't know; it's hard to say. But I do know that there are different stages, different states of my depression that are recognisable. Um, when I'm absolutely at my lowest ebb, when you, when I'm in what can be described as the clinical depressive state, it's 
really, really destructive to making work. I can't make work at all. It just doesn't happen. Um, so in that in that way, it's it's not helpful at all. It's a real hindrance. And why, why doesn't it happen at, at that point? Because the, the sort of nihilism associated with feeling that bleak, uh, the pain associated with feeling that bleak, means that there is no point. It's not just that there, it's not just that there's um, you're filled with self doubt. It's that there's no point in doing anything. You just can't see the point of anything. You can't see the point of you, but also you can't see the point of anything. So the idea of making art would it just wouldn't occur I mean it would occur to me because it's what I do but it would just it's just it would just be an anathema it wouldn't make sense and I think when I'm in that state as well I'm so busy trying to avoid the pain by crawling into bed or by fighting obsessive sort of dark thoughts that it it's there's no room for making for creating you know and and there has to be you have to have some peace i think i have to have some peace mentally to make work you know but there is definitely a point um before there's a there's a patch that i sometimes go through just before i know that i'm going to that i'm could possibly veer into a, a really dark patch and, and when i'm on the precipice of of having a low where i'm agitated and uh, I move quite fast, I'm quite irritable and quite sort of volatile, but I move quite fast and I'm quite motivated and that can be really a really useful state to making work. I tend to be, go at things, hammer and tongs and I could work for long periods of time and I'm filled with ideas. I am quite volatile though, so it's also the time where I'm most likely to, to tear things up and throw things away. Uh, or veer into anger about the work that I'm creating. So it's it's fragile, but it's um, it, it it can be quite a sort of rich time for tapping into new bodies of work. Do, do you think? Um, and this is probably a sort of an impossible question, but do you yeah. think you're sort of um, are you are you uh, conscious enough when you're when you're making work, or maybe when you make you have made work and you sort of step back and look at it, that your periods of mental ill health have, have informed the content of it. Well, undoubtedly, because I don't think that I can separate them from who I am as a person, because it's just who. I mean, you know, there's a there's a people say. You know, I am not the rain. You are not the rain. You know, to to try not to identify as a mentally ill person, you are somebody who suffers from mental health problems. But I I don't know whether I I believe that. I think that you are. You become. They are you. It is you. You know, my depression and the way my mind functions, whether it's a chemical imbalance or what, whatever the reason is, because I've lived with it for so long. It informs who I am as a person. That's shaped my life. And so because my work is, whichever way you look at it, a reflection of me, it, it, 
it couldn't look the way it does. It couldn't be the way it is. It couldn't have gone in the direction it has without my mental illness. So it's... it's in, and I, I don't know whether I've ever stepped back and seen, detached myself enough to know when I look back at a painting that there is in that painting a very definite strand of the way I think, which is different to the way other people think who, who don't have mental health issues. I don't really, I don't tend to analyse it in that way. But there are definitely um, recurring motifs and abstract ideas that were you to analyse them, I think would be very definitely to do with my very particular brand of depression of depression, whatever that is. Like what? I think maybe like the combination of um, humour, dark humour, that everything is, a lot of my work balances very sort of carefully between uh, daftness and absolute bleakness, you know. And, and I, that's always the case. It's always, I mean, some people read it as being kind of joyous and it always astounds me when they interpret it like that because I see it as this kind of very fragile, slightly precarious uh, seesaw between uh, lightness and absolute dark, bleak, black dog nothingness, you know, and that, that of, you know, that kind of, is absolutely a reflection of, of what I feel in my everyday life a lot of time, you know, that it's a, it's a careful balancing act. Yeah, so I've only, that's the first time I've ever actually realised that. That's quite weird. That That is basically, if you had to in a nutshell describe the work as a whole, that I think at its most successful it is read as a balancing act between two very contrasting worlds. Mm. That's really interesting, mm. isn't it? Yeah. Uh, yeah, that is. <laughs> um, yeah, you get that in the text as well, don't you? I think sometimes when you've used text in periods like that, there's a sort of... Um, well, there's a kind of dark humour, isn't there? There, yeah. there, there's, there's a sort of there's a playfulness, but there's a kind of void underneath mm. as well. Yes, absolutely, and and as well, I have a, an ongoing um, preoccupation with with everyday mundanities because that's you know what goes on in everyday life, but also in the bleakness and otherworldliness of everyday mundanities, you know, and that's a very that's something that um, you deal with in depression all the time, this kind of, you know, this, the monotony of the, the need for consistency and the need for safety, but also the monotony of consistency and safety uh, knocking you back and sort of potentially knocking you over the precipice of, you know, good health as much as anything else. So it's, it is at once comforting and funny to notice 
subtle everyday mundanities, but also it's like hell, you know. <laughs> mm. It's very dark. It's funny and dark, you know, and I, and that's a place that I sit quite comfortably in because that's a, that's how I feel a lot of the time. I can sort of see the duality. Mm. And it's rarely in big, momentous things. It's very often in tiny, little, subtle, mundane, everyday mundanities that kind of eat away at you and entertain you, you know. And that, that's a bit how it is living with depression, really. It's the sort of constant companion, you know. Mm. It's there all the time and you kind of feed off it and it, it's just a sort of balance, allowing yourself to feed off it and be informed by it because it's who you are, but not letting it swallow you up, you know, not letting it take over, really. And, you know, the, the work and the work that I do and make depends on not letting it swallow me up because I wouldn't be able to do it if I did. So, about six months ago, you stopped taking antidepressants. Is it a bit longer now? I, yeah, I'm not sure. I haven't been timing it. Around yeah. about that, roughly, I think. Uh, and you were saying how you found it difficult sometimes to make work when you were taking the tablets. Mm. Have, you, have you noticed a change now since you're not taking the tablets? Yes, I have. Um, how have I noticed Apart from being more depressed. <laughs> Apart from being, well, I, it allows for um, that, that period that I was talking about earlier of, of that sort of very fragile patch before lows, which I didn't get on the antidepressants, where I'm quite high strung and agitated, uh, but motivated and quick moving and uh very prolific that happens a lot more now because mm. um part of what the antidepressants do is is peter out your mood so that you're kind of quite straight line flat line if you like most yeah. of the time so it doesn't allow for great fluctuations in mood and um it sort of slices I, off the peaks and troughs yeah it does it does it absolutely i think it does do that it does so uh, although it's you know while it's very valuable in preventing you from dipping too low which is really dangerous it also takes the edge off the you know the, the highs that you would normally mm. get and I don't know I don't have I'm not diagnosed as bipolar but I definitely get manic periods before slightly manic periods before I go into a low that's part of how I know that I'm going to dip you know mm. and and they are really useful because they're quite creative mm. so so I have more of those now uh, you know, it's 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 difficult because that that is also a sign that things are rapidly going to go downhill. Mm. So, um, but it but it does make for producing more work. Because that has been sort of historically, when you look at the history of artists with mental illness, um, at least in the twentieth century, that some have just said you know I, I need some kind of medication or treatment otherwise you know I'll, I'll lose this battle but others have been uh, very reluctant to take any kind of 
medication, whether that's lithium or, or, or any of the other antidepressants, for fear that it would curb mm. the thing that fuels their mm. productivity. I think, yeah, and particularly if you have long... My periods of... of I mean, I, I, I hesitate to call it mania because I'm not, as far as I know, bipolar. But if you were, di- if you were bipolar, for example, and you had longer periods of, of mania, then those creative highs would be, you know, absolutely essential to creating. Um, and I think probably throughout history, a lot of, um, a lot of really, really influential art has been created whilst people who. Uh, no doubt suffering from mental health problems are, are going through real manic periods you know so I can totally understand how they would choose not to forgo them you know in order to have a sort of more consistent mental health mm. life um, mentally well life mm. um, it's a re- it's it's a really difficult thing medication you know and I definitely don't the reason I stopped taking it wasn't because I didn't agree with it just for me, I wanted to have a go at existing without it, and and I, and not to say that I won't take it again. You know, it's 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 a really really invaluable tool. Sometimes, well, it's a lifesaver. You know, so I don't disagree with it per se, but it does definitely take the edge off a, the kind of detachment from the world that you need in order to create really interesting work you have to sort of unhinge yourself from the everyday and mania really helps that you know manic periods really help that Mm. you know it's it's like you propel yourself into us in a into a different world and that's a and that different state helps you to make work that you couldn't you just couldn't make otherwise well one of the interesting things is if you look up um so there's there's a book uh called i think it's called touched by fire by um a woman who um, has had mental ill health and is really interested in the relationship between creativity and a mental illness and uh according to her research bipolar is the most common um mental illness among um, artists and poets and mm. musicians and writers um, not least because of that the, the high you know that, that sustains fuels these these bouts of creativity but what's really interesting is if you look at the the the, the Bible of psychiatry you know the BDSM which is the sort of American statistical uh, analytical descriptive thing that psychiatrists use to diagnose right. illness the first few um, uh, symptoms of uh, bipolarity and mania are very close to how people who don't experience uh, mental illness feel when they're in creative flow. Mm. So there's a sort of a loss of a um, sense of time. You mm. know, there is uh, an incredible kind of self-confidence and kind of strength in ego, a particular perspective that, you know, how I feel right now is how it is. And there's a desire to um, 
to communicate as well, you know, to, mm. to, to, to express this thing. Mm. Um, so when people are, are sort of in the flush of a, a, a great idea and the words are spilling out of them, they, they can write all night. And it, it's just about that. They don't give a fuck about anything else. Mm. Um, and it's all part of this sort of communication. So it's interesting, isn't it? That, and and I, I haven't written this article yet, but I wonder if, if, without being too glib, madness is a kind of creativity and creativity is a kind mm. of madness. Yeah. And, and that you can't... It's the sort of fallacy that you can somehow disentangle the two. Well, the, the, you know, they, basically speaking, are both a detachment from reality. You know, that's what they are. You know, when you're going through a period of mania, if you suffer from bipolar, then you are detached from reality. And that detachment from reality uh, can take on many forms and can be... But, you know, I think the reason why it can be so creatively enriching is because you, your brain probably recognises that that is the... that you're in that mental... you're in that mm. intense, creative mental state, mm. you know. It, mm. I think they are one and the same. I've just come out of the studio now and I'm in the middle of a painting and I've gone through... I'm going through the stage of completely wrecking it because it was too pretty and looking too good and there's a, an, a massive buzz in doing that because you're doing something dangerous... <laughs> dangerous it's not dangerous I'm in a little studio but you're doing but it is dangerous in process because you've got to a point and it's really attractive on the canvas but I know that it's not what I want in a painting that it hasn't gone through uh hasn't had enough of a life enough of an adventure and I haven't taken enough risks and I can see that reflected back at me on the canvas and so in order to change it I'm going through a period of really fierce editing which is really brutal but really exhilarating and whilst I'm doing it I can feel my heart rate speed up and I'm sort of excited but terrified at the same time and a little bit sick you know but um I have the whole time I'm doing it I'm trying to detach myself from the quiet analytical um sensible conscious decisions that I make early on in the stages of painting and maybe a bit later on as well. And that middle period of kind of detachment is, I recognise, is very similar to the way I feel when I'm, just before I'm about to mm. have a low patch. There's a sort of exhilaration. There's a kind of exhilaration, but also an intent, there's, it's, a, it's very close to being really angry <laughs> as well. It's a funny thing, you know. Mm. It is, I mean, and mania is, as from what I've read and heard, you know, people who really experience full-on periods of mania, it's that kind of, they could be the best person in the world to hang out with and they could be the most volatile person in the world to hang out with, like quite dangerous and quite aggressive, mm. you know. So it, it, it's a state, a slightly unhinged state that is very useful, but it, it's not, I think that I would still be able to make work um, without it, but it would be flat. It would be missing a certain something. And that's interesting, isn't it? I wonder if um, without my... Well, it's impossible to say, but, you know, without the mental health issues that I've <coughs> grown to... Um, 
think of as part of me, whether I would be producing the same work of the same calibre, I don't know, you know, whether it would be any good. It would be different, it would be very different. It's impossible to say. It's impossible it? to say, yeah. But uh, but there is absolutely no doubt that, you know, my mood state affects, in quite an abstract way, it's not just, <coughs> oh, I feel like painting today, or I don't feel like painting today, or I can't be bothered to paint today, or I'm feeling too bleak to paint today. It's It's actually a detachment from reality, an ability to go into another world, which is, you could argue, is easier when you're used to doing that in your everyday life, you know, because you, you, you experience a detachment from reality when you're in a different mental state, you know, in a bad mental state. It's quite difficult to um, put into words, really. The reason I'm umming and ahhing and repeating and is because you, you just, you know, in the way that it's very difficult to describe an abstract painting, it's very difficult to describe a state of mind which is other, you mm. know, because you don't, there are no words for it, really. There's not mm. really a... I mean, there's plenty written about it, isn't there? And there's people who make their living out of dealing with it, for sure. But it's such a subtle thing. Mm. And there's so little known about it, even by the people who, you know, deal with it on a day-to-day basis. It's um, and, And because we spend most of our time thinking about mental health problems or otherness, and I'm not talking about neurological otherness, I'm talking about mental health illness that affects in a in sometimes a catastrophic way affects your everyday life not a neurological difference it's a you know I I think that um you spend so much of your time thinking of it as a bad thing and not looking at it and sitting with it and talking to it and interpreting it because you're running away from it, that when you're mm. actually asked to talk about it, it's mm. a really peculiar thing mm. to try and find words to describe because mm. you spend most of your time trying to block it out, mm. you know. Mm. I, don't think, I don't think I've ever really sat and tried to examine what it is. I spend most of my time running from it, mm. you know. I haven't come to terms with it in that way. Yeah, and maybe this is... Um this is part of a more open and sophisticated understanding of mental illness is, mm. is not to just <clears throat> is just position it as an absolutely terrible thing that we have to run away from mm. Mm. you know to, to recognise that um, that while it can be devastating that it's still bound up with other things mm. that are good mm. um, not least creativity mm. yes yeah yeah, it's interesting having this discussion. It's making me think if there's some way to sort of rein it in and use it, you know, for mm. the better, you know. Um, yeah, it's very difficult, isn't it? Because, you, you know, also, I think people have been guilty in the past of romanticising it, haven't they? And, and, and sort of, you know, they, they, they're sort of... Uh, this notion of the kind of mad artist has made people play up to some kind of eccentric stereotype. Yeah. And, and uh, yeah, 
yeah. and, and sort of uh, undermine the seriousness of it. Yeah, absolutely. And like I say, you know, the, the, you know, certainly from the point of view of, of serious clinical depression, it's it, there's nothing romantic about it at all. It's absolutely rubbish in, in making anything, creating anything. It's not a kind of beautiful, gorgeous, dark melancholy that can be tapped into. It's absolute nihilistic nothingness, you know, that can only be endured through sleep or death you know it's it's not um it is not bubbling with creative potential it really isn't you know there are there are states leading up to that and there are other types of mental illness that that may potentially be but i'd probably argue that someone who's on a who's really having a hard time with schizophrenia or bipolar would say that even in their most most manic prolific buzzy states that it's not um you're not necessarily producing stuff of quality you know it prolific is a a word that can be used to describe people who are in that sort of creative flow state or or you know if they happen to be suffering from um, a mental health issue, you know, and are an artist, they're in that creative flow state and they're also in a slightly manic state, but it's not necessarily quality that mm. they produce. And, and that's that's the difficulty, you know. It, you, you have to eventually at some point step back and shape the work and make it and analyze it well whatever people say i mean to make it you can't analyze it but you have to at some point you know mm. when it's made and it could be a complete load of shit you know uh we've all been through those stages of sort of huge creative flow where we're just producing 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 you come out of the studio all kind of slightly sweaty and totally on a high and then get up the next day and go in and think what a pile of absolute shit what was i thinking you know and then you have to before pause before you kind of attempted to throw it all away and just think, okay, there's something in here. Because yeah. undoubtedly, when you're that prolific, something, you'll, you'll uncover something. You know, there will be some mm. nugget of quality, but you have to kind of hunt for it. But you're not going to produce. When you're working that fast and hard and furiously, you're not going to produce a lot of really good work. Mm. You know, then you might just uncover something. So, yeah, the idea that the artist, the crazy artist is locked away in the studio, hands flying and kind of creative juices flowing and producing the best work of his or her life is is a load of bollocks, really. And a lot of persevering and hard, steady work in between to kind of uncover the stuff that is any good. Cool. Thanks. You're welcome. It's good because we didn't really chat about mental health, did we? In the podcast. No, we didn't. This could make, maybe this could be a part two. Mm, possibly. <laughs> Have to listen back. Uh, yeah. Cool. Thanks. Well, Kate did listen back and was happy for our conversation to be made more widely available. And I'm really glad she did. The more we talk honestly and openly about mental illness, the better it is for all of us. 
My article on the subject will be out in Creative Review in January and we'll be back to normal next time on The Wind Thief Tat with legendary illustrator and the funniest man to wield a pencil, Mr. Al Murphy. But for now, thanks very much for listening. Goodbye.